He went out in the town in St. Petersburg and got drunk, which is not unusual, but he kept saying that he's big friends with the Tsarina. And then people came up to him and said, who the hell do you think you're Rasputin? So he says, I am Rasputin. No, you're not. So he dropped his pants and out popped his massive penis. And he says, I say no more. Ra ra Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. That's how the, the Boney M song goes. But there's so much propaganda and there's so much mythology and there's, there's so much craziness in this man's life that it's actually, you have to spend an inordinate amount of time picking it apart to figure out what is true and what is made up. And what makes it even more incredible is that he lived only a 110, 120 years ago. You know, this is not a long time ago. It's not like trying to pick apart the myth of Julius Caesar from the reality. This was a man who had all the characteristics of a Buddha or a Jesus or a Muhammad, but lived in recent history by comparison. His name was Grigori Rasputin, and he was born in 1869, died in 1916, he didn't just die. I mean, he died probably three or four times. And he was famous because he was a Russian mystic and a self-proclaimed holy man who most famously befriended the Romanov Emperor Nicholas II, the Tsar, the last Tsar of Russia, and gained huge influence in late imperial Russia, especially with the Empress. And uh, I know that this was suggested by Spike, who produces the show, um, and Spike also has a beard, and that may be the reason. But this was quite a scary-looking guy. Every picture I've looked at with him in it, you can see why people would have been drawn to him or repulsed by him. Anthony Meder is my co-host. This is Blind History. Yeah, this is another one I really loved. <laughs> I really I did. I don't know if I did, huh? Rasputin, I think it's very important for the listeners to just Google and look at a picture of him. Yeah. Because his eyes... I mean, even in that picture, you can see exactly, I mean, his eyes just burn right through you. And the, the fact that he, you know, he had something about him, that he could have been a horse whisperer. You know, they talk about, you know, whatever. You know, they had a lot of horses at the peasants at that time. Yeah. But, but, you know, he had something. Well, look, he's by no means a good-looking guy, but he, he definitely had a mystical charm. He had a, a look which was arresting, to say the least. But he had almost like a balding patch in the middle. His hair was parted down the sides, this big beard, this very bony face, uh, these deep-set eyes with these dark rings all around them. And in the propaganda posters that you know, they were publishing around the time that he fell out of favor and he became the bad guy for imperial Russians, um, they emphasized all of those features. So maybe... History's been unkind to this man. But he put that persona together. So there is a lot of history being unkind to him, 100% agreed. But he developed this persona. His hair was greasy. His beard long. He had rotten food in it. He smelled. It's amazing that he was so attractive to people. Charles Manson is a very good comparison for him because yeah. he had the same sort of cult following. Mm. Women adored him. Yeah. How did it all start, though, for Rasputin? Because he didn't become, you said he created this character. So he obviously wasn't like this from the beginning. So he grew up as a peasant in Siberia. So, I mean, that's of all the places <laughs> not to a grow great, up. Not, not a, a great, great place. Not a great place. Surprised he even made it to adulthood. <laughs> and his dad was a farmer. He was a wild kid. And I think if you progress in his young life, you know, he did a lot of mischievous things in the town. And he drank from an early age. 
So, so like he, any good Russian. Yeah, like any good Russian. So, so, but he was special to such an extent that he had to leave. I think it's Potloskrova. Um, I just have to get what exactly. A, what a great place. Uh, Potros, Potrovskoy. That's exactly. And then he went to a monastery and something apparently had an epiphany and that sort of led him towards God and Almost like Constantine on the Damascene Road. Correct. Just in a different environment at minus 40 degrees. <laughs> and, and with a lot of vodka. In and a lot of it, vodka. And, and, um, <laughs> and from there, he displayed some sort of powers, mystic powers. Hmm. And people talk about it all the time, but we'll speak a little bit about it later and, and maybe what the explanations are for some of the events that happened with the Tsar. Nicholas II's family, but but that's where he came from, and then he got married at a young age. So he really ticked the boxes in terms of what a peasant would do. I mean, he was totally uneducated. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't write even at his at the heart of his powers, and he would just scrawl a big G when he signed off a new minister. I mean, that was going to come <laughs> to power. I mean, what a thing! Yeah. These it powers was, just incredible that he ended up with at the end of his life. But let's just talk a little bit about this rise to prominence because, look. The imperial family of Russia were extremely powerful, extremely rich, but also extremely crap at their jobs, especially Nicholas II. History threw him a bunch of really great opportunities, and he squandered every single one. He had at hand the most powerful imperial inheritance that probably anyone in the 1900s ever would have succeeded to, the late 1800s as well. And he was the least talented, least ambitious, least intelligent person to ever inherit so much. And and his wife wasn't much better either. She was also quite stupid. Yeah, she was German. So that already created massive problems when the First World War started. So nobody yeah. trusted her. She had bouts of depression. Oh. As a couple, they were a disaster. They were a disaster, but they did love each other Big time, to pieces. Yeah. I mean, it was it was one of those very rare true love stories that you get in dynastic marriages. But neither of them was really good at anything. And they had this problem. And the reason we're telling you about the Romanovs now, and, and particularly Alexandra and, and Nicholas, is because they are the context into which Rasputin became an important figure of history. They had a son called Alexei. And Alexei had hemophilia, which was the inability of his blood to clot when he had an injury. It meant internally or externally he would just keep bleeding if he bumped himself. I mean, it made him the most fragile little child in the world, and he was meant to be the next Tsar of Russia. So almost as a symbol of how the Romanov dynasty had come to complete weakness and could not possibly survive, like a Fabergé egg, this child was just the most unlikely successor to the most rich and powerful and populous nation in that world. And this bizarre Rasputin character, who'd already developed a reputation going from village to village in Siberia, barefoot with his big beard and his romantic eyes and his mystical abilities to heal, and to, he came to knowledge in St. Petersburg people started to speak about him and he saw a way to make himself really important to this very strange couple that were in charge of Russia and he said he could heal Alexei and for better or for worse whatever he was doing seems to have had such an impact on Alexei's health that Nicholas and Alexandra believed this man was 
from God. He was a miracle. Correct. So firstly, I think that Queen Victoria pops in here. They have Queen Victoria to thank for hemophilia. Alexandra, that Sarina. Sarina, yeah. She was the granddaughter of Queen Victoria. So that's probably where that came from. But they kept it a secret. So nobody knew that, that Alexei had hemophilia. And Rasputin came into St. Petersburg. You know, he came on the back of relationships with bishops and important people in the church and with his charisma. And in those early days, he kept it tidy. And what he did, they just said he's a man of God, very spiritual. He used to mumble. And then people said, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Almost like speaking in tongues. Exactly, yeah. So they met Rasputin, and it wasn't immediately that the Tsar and Tsarina brought him in, but they, they had meetings, and it was it's well documented because they've got letters to show it. And two years later, as you mentioned, Alexei had hemophilia, and he had a bad episode. He went in a carriage and bouncing around, and he was in terrible pain. And they brought in Rasputin, and nobody knew the reason. Well, they speculate on the reason, but one of the big reasons is at that time, aspirin was a fix-all tablet or drug. They used to use it for everything. But the challenge was that it thinned the blood. We know that now. They didn't know it then. So when the doctors would give aspirin to this poor kid, he would just get worse. Make it worse. worse. Yeah. yeah. So what he would say is, get all doctors out. And he would chase everybody out and say, he must be on his own. And he would speak quietly to him and pray da, 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 in this that muffled tone. And the kid would just get calm. And he also calmed a very eccentric Alexandria. As well, the mom. So she was a she was hysterical. Yeah, she was hysterical, and that worked. He, he suddenly got better. So they thought, sure, maybe there's something to this guy. And the thing was that, that they couldn't care less about being the next saw. They just wanted him to survive. Yeah. Well, this Rasputin was not a clean cut guy, though. He may have tried to persuade people that he was a man of God and he was religious, but this was actually a cover for a very debaucherous, very lascivious life. You know, they found very serious accusations of. Rape and murder and terrible things that he did when people weren't looking. But he certainly wanted you to think that he was some kind of ascetic monk. He was none of those things. He was a dirty, debaucherous, dangerous guy. Yeah, he was. But he often used to take his, his ladies back to his wife. He kept his wife. He supplied his wife with money, looked after his family. So he was, was a family man. Matriona. Yes, and he took them back, and he used to go to the baths with the ladies, and his wife at the time in Protoskoya, his hometown, was taking some people as guests for a walk, and they saw him basically fornicating with these ladies, and they said, wow, isn't that your husband? They said, no, don't worry about him, he's exercising demons. So either she was extremely gullible or very forgiving. <laughs> yeah, and you know, she also said there's enough of him to go around. Oh, okay. So, so, so but he had I mean, a hell of a sex drive, this dude. He had a massive sex drive. And the thing was, he, he wouldn't um, discriminate. He would sleep with the highest society or with, mm. with, or with prostitutes. And he drank and he really didn't have that under control. But when he went to go see the Tsar and he was drunk, he used to go and put his hand down in water and sort of get himself together before he would go and speak to them because couldn't, they couldn't see him like that. Is it true that he had an affair with the Tsarina or was that just malicious propaganda? What I've read, Gareth, is that it's probably malicious propaganda. I think the big claim to fame for him with Alexandria is is that it was for the son. Mm. And she needed him around because she was so worried about his son. And that led him to the time where he was basically number three in Russia, if you had to see the Tsar and the Tsarina. But he was actually number one because both of them were quite weak individuals. So he was effectively in charge of government too for Correct. a long time. So he, he was, was the most powerful man to make the decisions and appointments and 
and policy, you know, all of that kind of thing fell into his ambit. Yeah, at the time that Nicholas decided to go to war, he felt the need to be on the front line for whatever reason. But instead of getting a competent up-and-coming minister, he got his wife to run the administration of Russia while he was on the front line. And who did she use? Rasputin. Rasputin. But he also, I mean, he gets the blame for a lot of things because he was a convenient scapegoat. I mean, what happened at that time, too, was that the Russian Revolution was underway. You had communism on the rise. You know, Lenin and, and, and his cohort were starting to become important. And it was important for them at that stage to disenchant the people with the monarchy and to, to show them that the monarchy was this old feudal uh, not particularly competent establishment that was also swayed by this crazy, dangerous mystic. And that all played into their hands very well. Definitely. It's quite sad that all the people that worked so hard to bring about the revolution should have got a hell of a lot more accolade than Rasputin because they say Rasputin was the reason why they brought down the house of, of the Romanovs. <laughs> so, yeah, but you're 100% right. He was the perfect pawn for them. To actually bring down the Tsar. Now, one of the things that contributed to his reputation was the fact that it looked like it was impossible to kill Rasputin. Yeah. He had like nine lives. So there were assassination attempts in 1914. There was a woman who tried to kill him by stabbing him in the stomach. Correct. That was in his hometown back in Siberia. And apparently she lost her nose from syphilis from Rasputin. <laughs> So she wanted to get her own back, or it could have been a, a, a upset uh, priest. There was just a whole lot of different reasons. But she went in, and she tried to kill him. And she and, and it was such a small cut, but he, my God, he made a big play of it. He nearly died, but he survived. Ultimately, yes. And then a group of nobles led by Prince Felix Yusupov tried to kill him, and they thought they had. I mean, just explain the scenario that took place in the palace because. Rasputin, the fact that he managed to survive this is absolutely remarkable. Talk about 50 Cent taking like nine bullets. This is even more incredible. It reminds me of Peter Sellers in the party where he never (laughs) wanted to die in the beginning with his bugle. Because, you know, he was never one to turn away excess food and drink. So they invited him to the palace. And being at a palace, he was always happy with that. (laughs) So he said, yes, I'm in. And and he came and and they obviously plied him full of these cookies and food and alcohol laced with with cyanide. And they were sitting there all waiting excitedly to uh, you know for him to die and and he never died and they gave him tea and he just got more and more drunk <laughs> so but he never died so they said this is not working they looked at each other so he took the pistol from one of his colleagues the gentleman Yusupov, yeah. yes that's it and then they shot him three times right and there's one story that he ran into the courtyard so uh, there's various <laughs> stories you read but this particular one he ran into the courtyard and then they shot him a few more times so he <laughs> so he fell down and then they wrapped him in carpet and then they cut a hole in the ice in the Neva River, dumped him in the river, and they found him three days later, and they proved that he actually drowned. He didn't die, <laughs> so he was still alive when he was. So, you know, I'm and sure there's there a lot of embellishments. The, there were also rumors that it wasn't really him that was found. And he was still alive. Absolutely. So yeah. that, that continued to be something. But they threw him off this bridge, in, wrapped in the carpet, into the ice, and he floated away under the ice. And that was the end of Rasputin, but his legend lives on. And obviously. grew and grew and grew. Oh, yeah. And, and you know that they were so disappointed, the assassins, that nothing changed. Nicholas didn't suddenly come back from the front line. Alexander didn't suddenly become less depressed. Nothing changed 
to improve the situation that they thought that the killing of Rasputin. So that maybe tells you that he maybe wasn't as influential as the stories now go in the demise of the Romanovs. But the imperial family did attend his funeral, which is amazing. So they met his family as well. The Tsar's family went and had tea with Rasputin's family (laughs) at the funeral. And his body was later exhumed and burnt by a detachment of soldiers after the Tsar abdicated. And his uh, his grave was feared to become a rallying point for people who mm. supported the old regime. So ironically, even though he was kind of postulated to have been this terrible influence in the imperial family, he became part of their legend as Russia transformed into a totally different communist uh, system and, and utopia that, that Lenin had conceived of. But so, the immigrants, you know that a lot of people left Russia at the time because of the, and actually it was scary times with the Russian Revolution and and they had all these stories of a Rasputin that, is, that had spread around the world to such an extent that movies were made mm. and there's so much that was so the supervillain, he's always been portrayed as the supervillain going forward. Um, but it was interesting, there were also all kinds of Russian High nobility, these old ladies who carried around lockets of his, with his hair in, uh, right to their graves, you know, and they say that the Tsarina eventually, one of the things she carried all the way to her death in Ekaterinburg was this, uh, this lock of Rasputin's hair, which she thought would protect her. Well, a lot of the ladies probably were missing the, getting their demons <laughs> exorcised. <laughs> exorcised. <laughs> but his daughter, Maria, yes. um, you know, he was very close to his children, which is, you know, it's such a difficult story, this, because, I mean, he loved his children and... <laughs> Somehow he found time to yeah, love he his found, children. Yeah, exactly. And, his, and for the matter, his wife, you know, and he was quite derogatory sometimes. She, she was a plump, like a round lady that tended to the crops. But but she went on to become a lion tamer. The daughter. The daughter. Yeah, she became a lion tamer like in, in, circus, in America. In America. And she wrote a book and she did all of those type of things. You know, the famous, you know, the crazy monk's daughter. Yeah. I think that was where she got it from. But, you know, seriously, he, for whatever he did, and, you know, to get inside his head would have been incredible because wow. if you think about when he was a peasant, was he massively ambitious? Did he create that persona because he was very smelly? He, I mean, he had food in his beard from months that smelt weird. He never washed his hair. He was shabbily dressed. So it's, it's hard to say, you know, was this his strategy? Because he climbed all the way to the, he was number one in Russia. Yeah, it's People absolutely used to, remarkable. Yeah, and it's, it's so hard to explain. And he ended up in a Boney M song. Yes, 100%. <laughs> He's done okay. He's done okay. For a stinky old monk. Yeah. Well, if that isn't someone that you, uh, you haven't learned some new things about, then I don't know. Uh, Rasputin, who ended up being this uh, incredibly powerful man in Russia, from being born in the Siberian hinterland. Let me tell you, anyone can rise to power and glory. There he is, Rasputin. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christ miniature. I sin. And that's really so what that must, was. You he, must he, accept my faults. He used that excuse a number of times. And that's what he started out with his wife. In the beginning, he said, I'm a sinner. Mm. But what was important and what she realized was that 
he hated being in the positions where he would have to have sex with people. He hated every minute of it. Yeah, of but he had to test the limits yeah. to be able to. <laughs> His to suffering to, was pleasure. His suffering and to be able to improve and to be able to help the flock. So she yeah. believed it. <laughs> Had to keep going around having sex with uh, all these disparate women. Exactly. Yeah. Terrible life. 